Good morning. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here, if you don't know me. Uh, We've been in this message series called Servant Leadership in God's Kingdom, and in it we're discovering uh, how we're supposed to function as the church here on earth until Jesus returns. Now today we're going to look at the foundational way for which we're to live as the church. This is this is basic, this is foundational, this is, this is important because it's what everything else is built on in terms of how we are to live as God's people. It's called servant leadership. Now, now some may hear the word servant leadership and they think of the pastors, the staff, the elders of the church. Well, here's the deal. Servant leadership isn't just about those who are in formal leadership roles. It's all of us. It really is. If you're a Christ follower, you're in a position of servant leadership. And and true Christ-centered servant leadership in God's kingdom is actually a very, very good thing. Now, let's go a little deeper. Servant leaders, they, they take several functional forms, including followers, collaborators, decision makers. Uh, followers submits to leadership and may not be directly part of, a decision, of that decision-making process at times. A, a collaborator is invited into a conversation to help be part of a solution, and a decision-maker is actually responsible to make the final decision. Now, one isn't better than the other. We, we need all three. In fact, a, a servant leader expresses his or her leadership in all three ways in different times, but, but the context of our circumstances actually informs which function is primary in a given situation. Well, let me explain. I'll give you a few examples from my own life. My, my role as a husband, I'm often a collaborator with my wife, Sarah. Parenting, managing our finances, just deciding on what, what we need to put on our shopping list for the grocery store. Uh, we collaborate together on these things. Much, much of the things that we decide and do in our marriage is collaborative. Now, when my wife is preparing a meal in the kitchen and she asks me to cut an onion up, uh, I, I ask her, well, do you want it sliced or do you want it diced? And in that case, I'm a, I'm a follower. Whatever she wants, I'm, I'm going to do it. And then when it comes to setting the, the biblical direction for my family, and, and leading in that, I, I need to fill the role of decision maker, o- owning that responsibility, similar to how the elders do that with the church. Now, likewise here at, at FBC, when, when I'm meeting with the elders as the lead pastor so that they can give me feedback uh, about how I'm doing in my role, I'm a follower. I submit to their guidance, their counsel. That, that's the, the hat I wear. When, when I'm guiding the elders or the staff to, to consider implementing a new ministry philosophy or emphasis, I'm a collaborator at that point. And, and when a final decision needs to be made about multiple options for, for an outreach and somebody has to decide or, or, or we need to make a decision about our staffing structure or, or position descriptions among the staff, I'm, I'm a decision maker. That's, that's my role. My, my role and context of the situation, they, they actually help define, as the lead pastor, whether I'm a follower, a collaborator, or the decision maker in a given situation. I'm still the lead pastor, but my primary function may change in various situations. 
Now, I understand it's natural to think that the pastor is always the primary decision maker, but that's just not true. It's, it's really not. Many times, other people look to me to make a final decision. They think, well, he, whatever he says needs to go. But, but over time in ministry, what I've learned is it's actually best to develop other servant leaders in God's kingdom. And, and one of the best ways to do that is actually delegating decisions. Uh, th- this means as often as possible, and it's not always possible, but, but as often as possible, I want to tell other people around me who are part of the team, you decide. You decide. Just empower them. This is when I function as a collaborator. It doesn't mean I don't have input, but, but, but you decide. You get to make the decision. I, I still carry the ultimate responsibility for the decision, but, but someone else gets the authority to decide and execute a project. Now, now one example of this, I'll, I'll give you an example, would be this uh, 2023 ministry review. I, I don't know if you've all seen it yet. There should be copies at the Welcome Center if you haven't. It was in the Flash News. Uh, you should get a copy. It's, it's, I think it's pretty good. Uh, but, but in this case, I, I made the decision to, to try out doing our annual report in a bit of a different way. It's something we're trying. We're going to see how it works. Honestly, I'm excited about it. I, I, think it, I think it sheds light on what God is doing, and we're celebrating what, what God has done over the past year. But honestly, if there's a problem with it, I'll, I'll take responsibility for that. I'll own that. But, but if it works well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Tanya, and I want you to tell her. Because she spent hours and hours and hours gathering, arranging, and assembling the content. I, I, I gave her some vision, some guidance, but for the most part, she got to decide a lot of the details. And honestly, that's, that's just how servant leadership works. U- ultimately, servant leaders are to reflect the image of Christ. Now, now, to bear his image, Jesus, what does he do? He calls his disciples to trust him and, and to put away their old self, their old ways of life, and to follow him. In fact, Jesus, he says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, these are hard words, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you ever thought, what a bizarre thing for a teacher to tell his students, right? But to follow him is what he requires. We're we're called to imitate him, to be like him. That's what a servant leader does, to imitate Christ. This this means the foundation for servant leadership, first and foremost, is actually being a follower. And and this is true for all of us who say we're Christians, right? If our identity is in Christ, if we're in Christ, we are Christ followers. We're not people who walk around and tell Jesus what we're going to do or not do. We're Christ followers. And that's exactly what we're going to see in the text that we'll look at today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Words will be on the screen as well. Here's what it says. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. 
And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say, say these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right and one, one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, verse 22, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we see here is that Jesus, he, he forecasts to his disciples what's coming down the pike. Jesus, he explains the horrible things that are going to happen. And then all of a sudden, and here in verse 20, the mom, the mom of James and John, she comes up to Jesus and she asks if her sons can sit next to Christ in glory. Can you believe it? It's kind of shocking. The, the boldness, the audacity, the entitlements. Look at how Jesus responds. He responds with a question. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They say, we are able. The imprudence continues. Now, I think it's hard to determine the motive sometimes when we read Scripture. I've, I've seen that in various places. Like, what, what was the motive in this person's heart? But what may actually be going on here in this passage is actually an attitude of entitlement. And entitlement is, is rooted in inappropriate expectations or taking on the incorrect function of a servant leader, right? Follower, collaborator, decision maker. It, it could be that you feel that you should be a decision maker when, when in reality you're a follower in a particular situation. This is when micromanagement happens. Which, which is assuming responsibility where you shouldn't. Or, or, or you could be a follower when you should actually be assuming the role and responsibility of a decision maker. This is when abdication happens, which is not taking responsibility when you should. Now, how does this happen in the church? Well, a few years ago, it was another church Someone came up to me on a Sunday morning and said, Pastor, I, I really think we need to have a, a Sunday night worship service. And, and I really think a Wednesday night service would be great, too, for our church. I, I listened, I tried to understand and, 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 and hear the, the suggestion of this person. 
But ultimately, I ended up communicating that we're, we're not in a position to do that right now, unfortunately. It's not a bad idea, but, but we just can't do that right now. There's other ministry priorities, and, and we need to put our resources towards those other things at this point in time. Now, in this case, I, w- I was functioning as the decision maker. That, that was my role. That was the hat I needed to wear as the pastor. The, the person made this suggestion as in the role of a follower. I, I was extremely grateful for the suggestion and the person thinking through, like, maybe this is, would be helpful for our church. But I was in the spot where I had to make the decision. Sometimes I don't even like making those decisions because I, I would love to do everything that everybody brings to me as an idea. But, but it was the role that I had to fill. Now, what if this person persisted? They, they didn't, but, but what if they did? And they came to me and they, they said something like, Pastor, you are wrong. Like, I've talked to all these people and they want to do this Sunday evening service. And if you don't do it, like, this is going to be a problem. Well, if, if that were the case, and, and in that kind of tone, th- this would be an attitude of entitlement. The, the person's attitude would have incorrectly assumed the role of a decision maker when they're supposed to be in the role of a follower in that situation. Now, there are other situations in which people in, in churches, they take an attitude of entitlement, which actually looks more like abdication. Uh, I've been in ministry about 20 plus years. I've seen this over the years with a, with a few well-meaning, many times older folks in the church. They, they, they have very, very strong opinions about how things should be done. But then when they're asked to step up and serve in a leadership role or to mentor those who are younger, they're just unwilling for whatever reason. They're unwilling to engage in that way. But they want to share their opinions. In some ways, that's an abdication of servant leadership. The abdicator feels feels entitled to have all sorts of of strong opinions and to be listened to. But abdicators, they don't accept the responsibility to actually be part of the solution. And that's what servant leaders do. They want to be part of the solution. Another example would, would be on social media. Social media, is a, you, you've probably seen it. Or, or worse, a, a critiquing anonymous note. If, if you've been in a leadership role before, you, you may have received an, an anonymous note. I, I don't know if I've told you guys this before or not. I, I really don't. But, but for years, I haven't read anonymous notes that are of a critiquing nature. I, I get rid of them. And there's a couple of reasons why. Because, first of all, they're, they're not actually helpful. Be, because, because no one left a name. And I don't, I don't get these kind of things often, but, but there's no way to get in touch with the person to, to discuss what they're concerned about or to try to resolve the issue or concern that they have. And the honest truth is, as, as leaders, and, and if you've been in a leadership role, you know this, we, we don't need the extra emotional toil that a negative critiquing note creates because there's enough stress in leadership already. And so in some ways, what, what critical anonymous notes feel like when, when, when a person receives them is like, like a bomb that someone tosses over a wall. And then they just kind of run away. You can't do anything with it. And it's hurtful. And so if somebody isn't willing to write their name and be 
actually part of the solution. That's an abdication of servant leadership. That's not following Christ. Because servant leaders, they want to be part of the solution. It's so easy in our, in our world with our phones and our computers to just type a few words into an email or Facebook and just hit send. We're not looking the person in the eye. and We don't see how they cry. We don't see how it makes them feel. Ser- servant leaders don't jab or carelessly throw around harsh words. That's not what servant leaders do. They don't gossip behind people's backs. In fact, they assume the best of others. They think that there's a, there's a good reason that this happened or this decision was made. And they go directly to that other person privately, one-on-one, not in a big group, in, in humility and kindness, the kindness of Christ. And they seek understanding and unity. That's what servant leaders do. And friends, the honest truth is these are the kind of things that Jesus was dealing with in his ministry every day. And in Matthew chapter 20, the situation, it actually tilted more in a micromanagement type of entitlement. The, the mother of James and John, she assumes, for whatever reason, that she can ask, not only ask, but, but kind of expect Jesus to grant that her sons will get these certain seats in glory. But, but instead, what does Jesus do? Look at how he responds. He redirects them. He redirects them toward an accurate vision of servant leadership. Remember that servant leadership, it imitates Christ. Here, here, this is really important. Servant leadership asks this question. What serves Christ best in this situation? We, we need to be thinking that more often in our lives, all of us, me included. It, it's saying what serves the body of Christ best? It's having perspective it's being prayerful. It's, it's having the mind of Christ. And so here's the big idea I want you to walk away with today. Because Jesus calls his followers to imitate him, you must be a servant leader. And so what does this passage tell us about servant leaders? The first thing is servant leaders, they own responsibility. They own responsibility. Ser- servant leaders, they, they don't lean into entitlement to assume more responsibility than they actually should. That's micromanagement. And servant leaders, they don't feel entitled to aimlessly throw around their, their opinions while, while lacking a willingness to be part of the solution. That's abdication. Servant leaders own responsibility. In fact, they own their proper responsibility. And an attitude of entitlement does funny things to a person. I don't know if you've observed this before, but it confuses what's right from what's wrong. It's very confusing. What, what's actually going on here? It, it assumes. There's all these assumptions without actual communication. It, it easily harms people nearby. And it skews responsibility. In fact, sometimes you don't even know who, who is responsible for this. Now, when the mom of the sons of Zebedee approaches Jesus, he, he responds by saying, what do you want? This is a a really important question to ask. Jesus knows that it's important to clarify people's intentions and expectations. Because if we can get to the root of what someone really, truly wants in a conversation or when they bring a concern up, we can better discern 
the request is reasonable or not, and, and even where to go with that, like how, how to take the next step. And, and in this case, Jesus responds, he responds in three ways. The, the first is in verse 22. Jesus, he basically says, you don't know what you're asking. If you only knew the pathway to what you say you want, I'm not sure you'd be asking. The, the second is that Jesus says in verse 23, you will drink my cup. You will drink my cup. He's telling them that he's suffering. And third, Jesus says, to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So in these responses, what Jesus is trying to do, he's actually trying to align his disciples' expectations with reality. Ultimately, what, what they're asking for what was not theirs to receive, nor was it for Jesus in that moment to give. And, and so Jesus, he gives his disciples a lesson about boundaries and limits. He's telling them that each person has their own responsibilities, and those responsibilities help define their boundaries and limits. And th this was even true for Jesus as he came into the world. He wasn't exempt from it. Jesus' responsibility when he came into this world was to live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live for ourselves, to die the perfect substitutionary atonement for our sins, for those who would believe, and to be raised to life for the glory of God. That was his responsibility. There were some other things, but that, that was, in a nutshell, that's what it was. Listen, his Jesus' role in this world, even as God, was not to micromanage by deciding and promising who sits where in the kingdom. That might surprise you, but it wasn't. It wasn't his role. His role wasn't to abdicate responsibility and live a comfortable life, dying in a bed many years from when he did. That wasn't his responsibility. Likewise, the disciples' responsibility was not to be the sacrificial lamb. Nor was their role to know everything about eternity now. Instead, what was the disciples' role? It was to follow Christ. It was to follow him. And, and this is true for those of us who are Christians too, now, to follow Christ. And, and so what this means is servant leaders, we're Christ followers and we're to own responsibility. The, the servant leaders, they own their own unique responsibilities that they're actually given from God. They, they don't seek things that aren't theirs. Don't, they don't try to manipulate others for their own gain. They don't assume or feel entitled. Rather, what do they do? As the text says, they, they drink the cup of Christ by following him. Servant leaders are more concerned about their responsibilities to fulfill than their rights that they are to receive. A, a person in this world, God, God gives us, as people in this world, God has given each of us responsibilities. He, he's given you the responsibility to imitate Christ as a servant leader. 
And this, this means that along with the Spirit working in you, you're responsible. You're responsible for your feelings and emotions. You're responsible for your behaviors, choices, values, your beliefs, your convictions. You're responsible for the things that flow through your mind, the thoughts you have, your desires. You're responsible ultimately for how you treasure God and love others. The honest truth is that's, that's nobody else's responsibility. That's yours. That's, that's mine. And so as a, as a servant leader, you're responsible to imitate Christ's humility and kindness if someone comes to you and is critical toward you. You're, you're responsible to imitate Christ's forgiveness when someone wrongs you. And when you wrong someone, you're responsible to repent. We, we humbly own responsibility by imitating Christ through the gospel. That's how we're empowered to do it. So friends, allow the gospel to transform your life. That the gospel would transform your life by, by being filled with certainty about your salvation and identity in Christ. Allow the gospel to fill you with humble honesty about your sin and your capacity for sin. Allow the gospel to fill your heart with grace and honor toward other people, regardless of how they treat you, because Jesus has extended grace and honor toward you, and you didn't treat him very well. Love with compassion and forgiveness, because that's how Christ has loved you. And trust God with the unrighteousness of this world, and it, it is sick, the things that go on in our world today. But trust God, because he's the eternal righteous judge. Servant leaders, they own responsibility in, in such a way that they, they imitate Christ. The, the second lesson of this passage is, it's heavy. Servant leaders expect to suffer. Servant leaders expect to suffer. After Jesus' conversation with James, John, and Mom, the other disciples, it says they were indignant at the two brothers. Then in verse 25, we see Jesus' response. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, servant leadership isn't about getting, it's about giving. Think about it. In, in, in the world, it's, the world says, serve and you'll receive the reward. I mean, all over the place, in, in schools and kids stuff, and even, even for adults, our communities, they hold award banquets, hand out certificates, we put names in the newspaper. It's not bad to celebrate when good things are done, I'm not saying that, but, but it, can, it, it, it can be a, good to acknowledge and appreciate those who've done good things. But here's the point. The reward isn't the point of serving. 
the reward isn't the point of serving. We don't serve just, just to get a certificate or to get acknowledged. Instead, what Jesus says here, as we read earlier in verse 23, you will drink my cup. You will drink. Church, you're destined to suffer. If you want to be first, you'll be a slave. To, to share in Christ's glory is to participate in his suffering. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the cup. In Gethsemane, where Jesus went to the cross, remember what Jesus prayed? He asked twice if this cup would pass from him. And then Jesus went and he, he drank the cup. You will drink Christ's cup. It's the cup of suffering. R Romans 8, verse 16 says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. that We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Paul goes on to say something really important in verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that's today, that's what we're going through, that's the world we live in, are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Whoa, what a perspective to have in the midst of hardship and suffering. As servant leaders, expect to suffer. And I know it's hard. Servant leaders expect to suffer. That's what it means to follow Jesus. See, here's the honest truth. Jesus, he could have abdicated his leadership by not going to the cross. He could have followed his emotions in that situation and just done what he felt inside, which so many times I do, maybe you do, we, we feel these emotions and it just kind of comes out and we just do what we feel. And then we look back and we're like, why did I do what I did? Jesus didn't abdicate his leadership by not going to the cross. He chose to serve and to suffer instead of comfort and passivity. Jesus Christ didn't abdicate his leadership. And likewise for us, likewise for us following Jesus isn't about getting, it's about giving. And so just because you're a Christ follower, you shouldn't expect that life is going to be easy and comfortable. And some of, you, some of you have already come to this realization, you know that. You shouldn't expect that everybody's going to like you now that you're a Christian. You shouldn't expect that America's going to be this Christian nation all of a sudden. See, Christ followers, servant leaders, they expect to suffer in this life. And it's hard. But we do it with Christ. You see, our suffering... Honestly, it can take on many shapes and forms in our lives. 
let's go back to those three, follower, collaborator, decision maker. If, if you're a follower in a particular situation, you, you may actually feel like someone else's decision. You had no control over it. Someone else's decision way over here has negatively affected you. Don't they see how this affects me? It kind of feels like suffering. If you're a collaborator in a particular situation, you may feel like, man, I just don't, I, I, I sure like a little more influence here. Sure like a little more say or a little more pull. Or, or you might feel like you, you just need more direction, like I'm being looked at to, to make this happen, but I, I, I just don't know where to go with this. And there's moments when that can feel like suffering. If, if you're a decision maker in a particular situation, you may feel torn. I, I feel this, honestly, kind of often in leadership. Sometimes it feels like a burden to make a particular decision because there just honestly aren't perfect options. And you want a perfect option. Like, you want it, you want it so clear. Or sometimes you're, you're concerned about how others around you that you care about are going to respond because you, you, you kind of have a hunch they're not going to like it. And that's hard. And so if you're a decision maker and you're dealing with that, you're wrestling with that, you may feel like you're suffering. Now I understand, I just gave some examples of suffering and you're, and you're like, they, they may feel a little bit petty compared to someone fighting for their lives with a terminal illness. I get that. But, but here's the deal, if in Christ, we all suffer in some way, shape, or form. And our suffering and sacrifice, here, here's where it's worthy. It's for God's glory. God's the one we seek to please, not ourselves, not anybody else. It's not that we're being selfish, but, but we're, we're seeking to please God. And that's what servant leaders do. We, we don't go around grumbling and complaining to all the people around us. We don't get down in the dumps of self-deprecation or self-pity. What we do in our suffering is we, we lean into Christ. And sometimes you take the whole weight of your body, the whole weight of your soul, and you just need to drop it into Christ's lap. We trust the Spirit to enable us to walk in a manner of which we've been called in the gospel. It's, it's the Spirit who leads us to think of suffering like the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not, not having a righteousness of my own, which is, which is worthless, friends. Righteousness that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that, that I may know him. I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share, share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Have you ever had 
such laser-focused vision upon Christ that you want to live that way. That everything else, it just doesn't matter anymore. That you want to live as a servant leader, walking in step with Christ, even in suffering, because there's glory. There's joy. There's unity with Christ. Friends, this is how we imitate Christ. We, we own our responsibility and we suffer for Christ's sake. Now, we don't seek out suffering intentionally for pain and say, hey, I can, I can do this. We suffer for the glory of Jesus. We take the form of a servant because that's what Jesus did for us. I've thought about this as a parent many times that, that you... That you give and give and give, and, and sometimes sometimes what you get back isn't isn't all that helpful or encouraging or it's hard. That's what happens when you serve others. You you desire to give and serve well, but you don't always receive back what you would hope. That's suffering. That's suffering for the glory of God and for Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful picture in Philippians. Actually, the whole book of Philippians is amazing in this regard. But Philippians chapter 2, and we've turned here before, but let me, let me read this picture to you. It's so beautiful of servant leadership. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. But, but in humility, clothe yourself in humility. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You ever walk through a day trying to do that? Like, think of other people, like, more significant than you? Like it, that's a different way of thinking. But each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what it means to represent the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. As you are filled with the Spirit, you now have the mind of Christ to live with Christ. And so, you think what you think, and so you do what you do. Have the mind of Christ. Now go be like him. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that it is, is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
You see, by Jesus paying the cost for our sins, he invites us and he empowers us to live a life of servant leadership. The gospel does that in God's people. The gospel has taken responsibility for our sin so that we can own our servant leader responsibility. So, so, so sin is out of the way, and now we can own our servant leader responsibility. God equips us for that in the gospel. The gospel has paid the ransom so that we can now suffer for the glory of God. And you look at a person's life who suffers for the glory of God, and you're like, how in the world do they do that? They do it because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. Because to be a Christ follower is to be a servant leader. And that's exactly what it means to sit near Christ and his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our gratefulness for you never ceases. To know that you followed, collaborated, and made decisions just as you were supposed to, rightly. To, to know that you never failed by the means of entitlement, micromanaging, or abdicating. You never failed. You owned your responsibility. You suffered the cost of the cup. And you did all of this because you knew that we couldn't and we don't. And so, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the hope of the gospel, which invites, empowers, and compels us to live as true servant leaders who imitate you. And it's in your glorious name that we pray. Church, would you stand with me as we sing and proclaim that through all of this, Christ is with us. He's ours forever.
God loves you, church, and I love you too. And as you go today, hear these words from Hebrews 13. May the God of peace, who is brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. We're working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a blessed week, church.